everybody. Welcome to the She Wolf Den podcast. Today I am hanging out with Erica Suter, who is a youth female soccer strength and conditioning coach from Baltimore, Maryland. And our conversation today was really cool because she talked a lot about um, her role in providing you know, the tools for improving sport performance, but we really dug into her long-term mission of being able to give these youth athletes the resources to live a happy, healthy life long after they might be done with their sport of soccer. So give it a listen. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with her. Hello, hello, and welcome to the She Wolf Den podcast. Today, I am joined by Erica Suter. She is from uh, Baltimore, Maryland, which I have not had the opportunity to visit um, that far east in the United States, but um, it's cool to be able to talk to her because I think that a lot of the conversations that we're going to have today are super, super relevant to people worldwide, not just kind of regionally where we're all located. So um, let me just give a quick introduction to Erica. She is a soccer performance coach, and she has been for the last eight and a half years, and she mainly dives into working with your um, pre-adolescent, adolescent female age, approximately 10 to 18, although I'm sure she has worked with, you know, a variety of ages and performance levels throughout her career, but kind of has honed in on that age group and, um, and working a lot with females, which is super relevant to our conversation on the She Wolf Den podcast, which is, which is guided towards females. So this is kind of a cool episode for our younger audiences or parents who are looking for some information for their youth athletes. So I'm super excited to talk to Erica today. How are you doing, girl? I'm doing great, best I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a holiday for you too, correct? Yeah, it is. It's Labor Day, but um, like we said before we hit record here, I have to work today, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not really work. So The joys uh, of being self-employed, right? You yeah, work yeah. <laughs> all the time in, and on holidays and weekends and things like that. Um, you let me know before we started, because I, I wanted to, um, to have a conversation about kind of where you're located and what kind of things that you offer. So you coach both in person and online, correct? Yeah. So I work with athletes in Baltimore, Maryland at, at my facility. And I would say I'm like 95% in person and 5% online. So as, as present as I am on social media, I'm bigger into the in-person because I just, I just love connecting with the kids face to face. Um, of course, online training has been extremely amazing, especially during this time. And it's been nice to just work with various athletes in America, but also worldwide as well. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I imagine you probably had to do some interesting transitioning in the past couple of months. Was that like a little bit of a learning curve? Were you already set up to kind of work online or was that like a, oh crap, now we got to make some changes? Um, you know, it was, it was interesting. So I, I had the systems all in place luckily, but 
my nervous system was on overdrive for probably all of March, all of April, just because I had to basically transition all my athletes in Baltimore to online and like go into the phone app and write each of their programs and schedule the Zoom meetings and just like come up with this completely new routine. So um, yeah, for a couple of months, I didn't really sleep. I was extremely stressed out. And I'm sure a lot of business owners uh, can relate that it was extremely intense those first couple months. But, you know, I, I was really lucky that I was still able to do what I love. And I think like I've talked to a lot of business owners during this time and, you know, for them, it's, it's more about losing their livelihood. Um, yes, like we need finances to survive in this system, but it was more so just people weren't able to conduct their, their livelihood and that caused a huge mental health crisis. Um, so I was lucky I was still able to, to coach and to teach because that's, that's what I love doing. And that's how I created my life up until this point. And soccer's always been a part of my life. And if I had lost that, I don't know what, what would have happened. Um, so for me, it was more about continuing to do the work I feel I'm here to do. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of people put a lot of um, stock or a lot of importance into their careers as part of kind of who they are. And that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that that's something we definitely do. So when that's kind of when the rug is kind of pulled out from under us, it becomes not just a, okay, well, what do I do for a job to pay my bills? But what do I now bring to the table as a human when my career has, has such an influence maybe on the environment or the people around me or the industry that I'm in? So that's like, that's a, that's a point of personal pride. And when that kind of gets lost in the shuffle, that can be, that can be really hard for a lot of people to to mentally kind of overcome. So that's, um, that's, I, I could see how you'd be like stressed. We, we know how that feels. We own two gyms. We were stressed to the max. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it was crazy. And like, you know, I was uh, living with my brother at the time and he, you know, he just works in a job where it's, he's always going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I was like incredibly busy during that time. And then we were like crowded in the same space and I'm like on the phone, like stressed and then like scheduling meetings and like writing programs and like the news is playing in the background. And I'm like, <laughs> what? So then I had to move out. I'm like, I can't, like, I don't know how long this is going to last. I like need my own place. Like, I, like, as you can see, I got like salt lamps and like my own vibe in here. And I'm just like, <laughs> I need like good energy if I'm going to live this virtual work from home life <laughs> you know yeah. it's hard to do like people think I, I remember when we switched to online because obviously our gyms closed we weren't able to work with in-person clients um things like that and uh I remember I I had one online client that and I had never done online personal training before like I understand the concept of it you're you're basically watching somebody do their workout in their space from your space and I was like okay I mean, I can do this. This is fine. And I yeah. remember standing in my like house pacing because I was trying to like subconsciously get a different angle and I was getting so frustrated because I kept yeah. pacing my room that I was in. And I think this, like, I think this lady thought I was insane. She was a newer client. And I think she thought I was completely out of my mind because I couldn't stop moving. And I was like, I'm so sorry. 
I'm trying to get a different angle of your squat and it's taken me a few minutes to realize that I obviously can't because we are in different places and I only get the yeah. two version of it was very weird for me to adjust my coaching style because normally a quick like shift to one side and I see a completely different thing and it was so weird to have to explain to her hey can I get you to rotate and that was just so outside of my wheelhouse it was it was super bizarre so I get the like needing some space and needing yeah. to be able to deal with your chaos because it was a little bit of a um a transition so yeah um, it was huge and I think uh during that time like a lot of us the silver lining was we we became better coaches because we we couldn't like tweak their form in person um and we had to like really get creative with our cues or yes. tell them hey like can you stand side view to your camera can I see it from the front now and I think it it made us all better communicators mm -hmm. so that like when we went back in person this summer it was just coaching had never felt easier I yeah. was like oh like this is like in person we're just having fun here I can see um, you in 3d this is great <laughs> yeah and you know even even the kids like I was so grateful we could we could be outside this summer and and all be together because they they really missed that social aspect and yes the zoom workouts were effective we were able to really work on technique we were able to do a lot of mental skills and confidence training but the in-person, like the energy is just so different, mm -hmm. especially if we're doing like speed and conditioning and agility drills. Like we, we need that energy so that the intensity just rises during the session. And it's uh, the kids were just isolated for so long and they were just so happy to see their friends again, which is, which has been, um, a big, a big issue now. Um, I know a lot of States are doing online school, so it's just, the, the lack of uh, social life has been really hard on some of these kids. I bet you would probably, you would probably be able to speak to that really strongly because obviously you work with them in a fashion that you're obviously working with them in like a, from a physical standpoint. But I think as a coach, um, these young athletes use your coaches as almost a, um, a springboard for some of their thoughts and their emotions and stuff like that. And, and will oftentimes share more with you than maybe they'll share with other people because you created that safe space. So um, I'm curious, what, what kind of conversations have they brought to you in their experiences? Number one, with like being closed, because you guys were closed in March, correct? And, mm -hmm. and then until the time where, like, when were you able to reopen? Um, sort of, gosh. sort of reopen. <laughs> So I, I went back into my facility early June, but I was starting to like do some training outside because parks were starting to open back up again. And then all summer I ran my off season program, which and is like all outside or in facility. Yeah. Most of it was outside. Some of it was inside, but it was like smaller groups, but like we trained for like four months, like full contact, like touching things, sharing equipment and like we all survived. <laughs> like we, we had a blast and like, it was, it was like, the kids were just so thankful that we were able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and with some of the conversations we've had, I mean, they just, they don't like the online world. Uh, I think a lot of Which us kind interesting of interesting because they've grown up inside of it. Right. Isn't it co cool how you see that? And we kind of tease about the younger generation being so attached to you know, social media and the internet and their devices. And they're just like, nope, 
no yeah. thanks. Yeah, it's interesting because um, there's a, a guy that, uh, an author that I follow, Charles Eisenstein, who's, who's talked about this a lot, that um, the coronavirus was a huge rehab intervention. So it was basically, like as humans, we were heading towards this fully virtual world and just kind of, we were already isolating ourselves from each other. We were already not talking to our family or like fully present with our friends. And then when uh, lockdown happened, we, it's, it's almost like we got what we deserved or what we had manifested. And then we're during lockdown, we're like, wow, like we really took social interaction and gathering and being with our teammates for granted because we, we were heading down this isolated path anyway. So I always find that interesting. And now that we're all back outside, people are embracing socializing again, especially kids. And they're, they're just starting to see the, the, um, the mental benefit to it. And I mean, th this summer was just, it was so great for them and so fun for them that we <laughs> were about to have our second summer party next weekend. Like we had a pool party, now we're having a bonfire party. And it's like all these athletes from different teams in different counties across the state. And they just want to keep hanging out. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, we're not just here to like train. We can have these parties. Like, great like we can just set this stuff up for free it's not like it needs to be this like organized structured event you know so it's it's been cool to kind of see them all taking initiative with with hanging out yeah and taking and re recognizing how important the social aspect of their sport is um as well as the physical aspect we notice um it like i'm part of a a group or a committee here in in my city where it's all about getting females involved in sport and physical activity because there is such a huge um, like downside for for women as we grow up. It's just, you know, fewer and fewer are participating in physical activity and then obviously having the, um, the negative uh, effects of that. And so we've kind of established a committee that uh, that focuses on getting young women into sport and physical activity and and just um, one of the big benefits is having that sense of socialization and sense of community and and that's such a that's such a huge factor and and like you said we kind of took it for granted we were we were going down this path where we're like oh we can do everything online we can do everything with our devices we have this like massive tool at our fingertips but what are we losing in that process? So I like that you're like, hey, it's, it was kind of like a reset and yeah. a little bit of a be careful what you wish for kind of moment. Um, and, and, that's, and that's an interesting, interesting thought process. Um, I'm curious, just because we kind of, you kind of um, got onto uh, the topic of, of this um, or in talking with, um, or maybe I brought it on the topic. Um, when it when it's talking about young women because that's primarily what you what you work with um, and I I'm really curious what kind of drove you towards working with more with young women um, and more with youth athletes because I know from a from a fitness industry standpoint everybody when I think a lot of people when they start out in the industry they're like I want to work with performance athletes you think about like the NHL players right that's like the yeah. the mecca. <laughs> Um, so I'm curious what drew you to number one, working with youth athletes and number two, working with female youth athletes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, I I just look back at my childhood growing up and I I always had coaches who just really believed in me and let me know what my strengths were and I also had coaches who taught me how to work hard toward things I wanted to achieve and they instilled in me these really good habits uh, with my performance and also with my my strength and conditioning. I had started lifting weights when I was in middle school and wow. that when yeah and that was when like the lifetime habit of doing this was completely instilled and at that time i was doing it um at first for performance like improved speed improved strength reduced chance of injury but then years later i found wow like i just it just puts me in a better mood or i feel like i'm a better friend or a better daughter or i'm healthier or my hormones are more balanced and yeah. i'm just taking care of myself in a holistic way. So I want to be able to give that to female athletes now because I think, I mean, now there's, there's a lot less movement happening outside of just like their organized sports practices, which is concerning from, from an injury and overuse standpoint, but also just a, a lifetime standpoint because it's like, okay, well, when your organized sport ends, whether, you know, you're done high school or you're done college, are you going to have that habit of being autonomous and taking initiative to do your own workout and to build your strength and to just be this strong human being for life? So, so you don't, you don't fall and you can't get back up or you don't get arthritis or you can be in a good mood when you go to your nine to five job. So it's, it's just so much more about soccer for me at this point. And I, I realized that even more during the COVID lockdown because all these girls were still training harder than they ever have. And it's not like we were even training for anything. Like we didn't even know when soccer was going to happen again. We didn't know when they could go to these recruiting camps for college again. We didn't even know if high school tryouts were going to happen. And they just, they just trained to, to train because with my conversations with them, they always say, I do it because I feel better when I'm done. I love that. Yeah. And it's, and and that's like, for me, that's like the best point to get to as a coach. Like, yes, I've had girls go to like D1 play internationally. Like it's all amazing stuff. But if I can like get them to finish that D1 program and they're, they're able to write their own workouts and they don't need me anymore, then that's like, for me, that's the best place to get to. <laughs> so a lot it, of your really is. Would, be, um, would be not just obviously skills training for your sport, but also the educational piece of here's the the strength and conditioning side of things and here's why we're doing that stuff you do a lot of that stuff as well with them the strength and conditioning stuff or yeah yeah more of the strength and conditioning like here's like here's a workout program here's how you follow it here's why you follow it so that they have those tools later on yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll I'll have them like write their own core circuits or their own hip strength circuits or they'll lead the warm up that day and just giving them tools so that they can be autonomous and and write their own workouts and understand like why this is good. Not just for soccer, but why is it good for life? Okay, well why are we trying to stimulate the body and constantly challenge it each week. Oh, well, because our muscles need to adapt and level up and get stronger. So when when you're done sports and you're older, it's like, it's not going to be enough to just go for a walk. It's not going to be enough to just play golf. Mm -hmm. That's not enough stimulus to avoid 
things like arthritis or rolling an ankle or just like stumbling over yourself? Or are you, if you fall down your stairs, can, can you get up and pick up the phone and call 911? It's like, we need to continue to challenge ourselves as humans. And I just, I get upset when people are like, oh, by the time you're like 30 or 40, that's when it's all over. And it's like, well, that's a, that's a really defeatist mindset. Are you really doing the daily work to continue to challenge your body? And, and that's, that's where I'm at in my career with what, what I'm teaching these girls. This is far longer term than just, you know, making it through high school. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that you like, man, it, the fact that you got the, the introduction to strength and conditioning into weight training when you were so young is such a massive advantage. Like the one thing that I think I tell people, because I, I did martial arts since I was like a little kid. And I mean, you always did like calisthenics. We did, you know, lots of push-ups, lots of, lots of sit-ups, because obviously in a class, you don't necessarily have the tools to be able to kind of use any other um, pieces of equipment or things like that. And that wasn't something that my instructor brought in. But we did, you know, a lot of body weight exercise and things like that as, as part of staying in shape. But I, I remember in university hiring my first strength coach um so that i could go to worlds for for karate and being like what are we doing like why we're lifting weights like this is a thing and it made me insanely strong insanely strong and insanely fast and it was like this is a game changer why was i not doing this at like 13 14 15 but it just never introduced and the one thing that i will tell the the people that I work with and those who have you know children in athletics is like get them introduced to this stuff sooner because the only thing that I wish is I got to it sooner because I didn't start I didn't start working out in the gym and doing strength training till I was probably 19 20 21 19 or 20 probably um and I wonder what I would have been like had I started earlier I'm like (laughs) man I could have been superhuman. I don't know. It would have been awesome. But like the fact that you got introduced to that is amazing. And the fact that you're like continuing to introduce that at earlier ages so that people understand the benefits. And like one of the things that when like working with general population in the gym, I work with a ton of females and a ton of females who walk in into my facility and come into a class and they're like, I don't know what to do with any of this stuff. That, that, fear of looking foolish because they don't know how to do something is Mm -hmm. so crippling because then at that point they won't, a lot of them won't try because they worry about looking silly. And so just having that base level of information to be like, you know what, I know enough to be able to do these few steps. And then I can kind of learn as I go is enough initiative to get them in, to do the things, to feel better about themselves, to be stronger, to be able to, to, you know, even just like play with their kids or, you know, clean their houses without getting like totally destroyed by it or move the boxes in the garage without, you know, without help. Like that, that's the stuff that people are looking for is the ability to do things for themselves, but they're so crippled by that fear of not knowing what to do when they walk into that space or seeing that equipment and being totally intimidated by it, that it's like, man, if you'd have just had a little bit of an intro to it, how much would that change your life? That little intro where it's like, hey, here's what this tool does. Here's how many different ways you can use it and, um, and not feel silly or feel like you're doing it wrong or worry about hurting yourself when you go into a facility and be like, well, the only thing I know how to use is a treadmill without 
you know, completely destroying myself. So that's like, yeah. that's, that's essential. That is essential. So I'm so like, I'm so excited. That's such a crux of what you do because it's so needed and it's not done enough. And it's definitely not done enough with our youth athletes. And it's definitely not done enough with our female athletes. Um, okay. So my next, uh, my next question, because, um, because obviously a lot of parents are involved with, you know, getting their, their youth athletes into these types of programs. Um, if there was any like advice you could give, you know, your, your soccer moms and dads about like, okay, here's what you need to be looking for in terms of, um, in terms of like giving them the tools for improving performance, giving them the tools for, um, you know, being able to reach those higher levels at their sport. What would be the, the things that are most important for those parents to look for in terms of performance, uh, strength and conditioning programs, you know, cross training, dry land programs or whatever, whatever that might look like, what would be like the, the main tools that they need to reach for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting one um, because I used to always give advice as like um, finding the right strength coach, what certifications, um, but it, before even doing that, so if they have this thought of wanting to do performance training, yeah. they need to ask their kid why they want to do it. And okay. I, don't, I don't want them to be the, the main one signing their kid up. Um, just because I don't, I don't want people to get into a situation where they hire a performance coach and they just do it so short term because they didn't have that deeper why. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I find is I'll, I'll have like a parent and a kid come in for an evaluation and I'll ask the kid, what do you want out of this? And if they look at me and make eye contact and answer the question themselves, then I know that's, that's a good candidate for like a long-term athletic development model. And they're really going to stick to it. They're going to get through that first couple months of the basics where it's going to be extremely awkward. It's going to be frustrating, but they're going to stay with it because they have that deeper why and they know why they're there, whether it's, they want to feel more confident on the field. They want to feel faster. They, they want to feel happier or more sure of themselves. So whenever they relate it to a feeling, like their why has this greater purpose and there's an emotion attached to it, I found that kids are much more able to stick to the basics, the times when it gets hard, and they're, they're in it for, for several years. Now, on the other side, I will have parents or the kid look at the parent and, and then right there I know, well, the parent like dragged them here. Um, and they're just kind of like slouched and just looking insecure. Um, I will say I won't, I won't completely um, turn down those clients because sometimes like during the eval when it's just me and the kid, I can like dig a little bit more and they're just a little nervous when I'm there and the parents there and there's like two adults. Um, and that's when I just ask questions to the kid like, hey, like, have you done this before? Um, what are your thoughts on weight training? What are your questions? What, what do you want out of this? And then I just start to kind of interview them and then I can get a better idea. Okay, well, is this, is this going to be a, a long-term commitment for you? Like yeah. I always tell them like, this is going to be a lifetime commitment. You're not always going to have me through this, but you're going to have me for <laughs> a good chunk of time if, if you want to get the most out of this program. 
That's, um, that's interesting that you bring that up because we experienced that, uh, I think a great deal with hockey here where you've got a lot of parents, um, who maybe live vicariously through their children and who want their children to succeed. We all want our children to succeed, but, um, I think want their children to succeed in a fashion that maybe they didn't. Um, and then they get to experience that success uh, by proxy. And so sometimes that can be that push in that direction, like, hey, you should do this. Or, hey, I want you to do this for this, 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 and this reason. And um, I find that those youth athletes uh, maybe don't last, like their shelf life is shorter as an athlete, because you can tell that they're, they don't, they don't, they're not there for for what they enjoy out of it and um, get really resistant uh, a lot sooner than the ones who are like, I just freaking love this and I want to do this all day long and um, just give me a ball, give me the field, give me whatever. And I could do this all day long. Whereas some of them, it's like, you know, the, it's more the parent's dream and, and yeah. that kid is the proxy to that parent's dream. And like, they, you know, they want what's best for them, but it's hard to find that line. So it's interesting that you bring that up, that that's part of your evaluation and how you notice when it's more of the, the, uh, the athlete that is like, Hey, this is what I'm interested in. Or more of like a, well, why am I here, mom? <laughs> yeah. why, what was the reason that I wanted to be here, dad? <laughs> like, it's yeah, like I've, I've had that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, parent parents absolutely love their kids, and some of them do what, want to live through them, whether they, you know, they didn't play sports or they didn't make it to a certain level, and that's fine. I mean, it's no, it's no right or wrong, but it's always interesting because the people who are are doing the training for just like playing in college, it's like at that point, if it's a, if it's a financial thing, yeah. If you want a scholarship, a full ride scholarship, and that's the percentage of getting that nowadays is really low. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do get that and you had done all of that training for all those years, the money spent basically cancels out. You know what I mean? So it's like you didn't even like you didn't even get get the scholarship or the financial aid. So that's why there needs to be that bigger reason because it's all going to cancel out. But like, what doesn't cancel out, what doesn't disappear, what doesn't go down the drain is that heart to train and to be a healthy person for a lifetime. And that's, I think that this is just one thing parents need to, to wake up with. Like, what is the end goal? How do you define success? Yeah. Is it getting that, you know, full ride scholarship or is it having a love of um, physical activity for the rest of their lives and being yeah. healthy because of that? That's a huge component. We, and I, oh, and I don't, uh, sorry to interrupt, but one thing I don't want to, I don't want to downplay, like, you know, don't aim to play in college because college soccer is awesome. Like I had such an incredible experience and I'm so glad I had worked that hard, but like, it wasn't even on the radar until I was like 13, 14 years old. And because I had worked hard up until that time, me getting recruited was just like an organic byproduct of, of me just working hard and not being like too set on it. I was just like, I just had that internal drive to just train and like see what I was capable of. And then like, it was like magic. Like it all ended up working out because I had just 
worked hard and, and did what I needed to do. I think sometimes people put that goal first, um, but they need to put the actionable steps first before just praying for that goal to happen. Yeah, 100%. I would, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You said you have this like internal drive to do things. And I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I just, I could chomp on that so bad. Um, I totally get that feeling where it's like, I, okay, I want to do this. Sure. I can do that. Absolutely. Let's go for yeah. it. But I'm curious how much of that came from like, okay, was that something that's just kind of part of who you are? Or do you think that's something that you developed from working? Cause you mentioned you work with some really great coaches. Is that something that really kind of got instilled early on due to some of the influences? Or do you think that's more of something that you started with? Yeah, that's like, that's such a, a layered answer there. So I would, um, attribute it to multiple things. So just the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. So just family was always super active and this was a time, this was in the nineties when, you know, we were playing like tetherball and tackle football in the neighborhood and capture the flag. And like, I was like wrestling with my brother's friends. I grew up around all these boys and just was constantly playing sports. And I just love body movement. And like that, again, was like the habit that was instilled at me, like from age, like, I'd say like five, you know, till 13, those like critical years of, of ner- building neural connections and just building your body and, and your coordination and, and your awareness and your balance. So it was the environment I grew up in and just like sampling all these sports. And then it was just I don't know. I, I went to my first soccer practice and I just, I had a coach who made it extremely fun. I love just being with my teammates and I just, I just love the game. And I just went in my front yard to practice by myself. And like, because I did that, I was like, wow, like I can like teach myself some of these skills. And like, I kept getting the results and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep doing this. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just like all those things, just being like super active, like so early in my childhood. And, and now it's tough to see, like, even just eight year olds aren't, aren't getting that much movement a day. And they're, they're supposed to be moving like six, seven miles a day, whether it's walking, running, sprinting, climbing, it needs to be covered. They need to be covering that much ground. And that's, I look back and I'm like, dang, yeah, I was covering that much ground. And and it makes sense why I developed into this like coordinated, robust athlete um, as I went through high school and college. So yeah, it's just being super active and part tomboy. (laughs) Yeah, I I was thinking about that a while ago where it's like, when was the last time we saw like people playing street hockey? Like, I don't even, I don't even, we played that, we had so much of that growing up where it was like, you know, you had the nets out in the middle of the street and it was like, oh, there's a car, let's move. And I can't remember the last time I saw that in the community that I live in and we're a huge hockey community. And I'm like, do kids even play street hockey anymore? Is that like a thing? Or are we now too scared of, you know, traffic to be, to play street hockey? Like, I mean, sure. It's not maybe the safest thing to do, but it was like a thing and everybody knew the rules and people were careful driving because there was always a game down somebody's street. And I'm like, we don't see that. Or you go to like the playground and, and kids, it's like, they don't know how to play. You're like, Hey, let's, let's play. I don't know. Let's, play grounders and they're like what is that I was like what do you mean what is that what do you mean (laughs) how do you not know what ground but they don't it's like it's they're losing some of those really basic skills to be creative and just freely and it's like that's that's nuts that's nuts to me that there's like there's just not this this natural 
um, initiative to move or play. And that's, that's something that I remember hearing you talk about. Um, uh, I can't remember. I, it must've been, I listened to a podcast. I think it was one of your podcasts with on the fitness devil with Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is what, this is where I heard this one. And I remember you talking about some of the stuff that you do with your youth athletes. So I really want to touch on this because, um, this was like, what drew me in was how you're like, you know what we do with the older ones. We do like the weight training stuff. We do the strength and conditioning, but for your younger ones, what is the difference between your training with your younger, your younger athletes and your training with your older athletes? Because I think you incorporate a lot more play-based stuff. So I'd love you to touch on the differences in your content for what you coach and the mm -hmm. skills that you coach and how you coach them based on age groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the younger athletes, I call them the, the mini munchkins. <laughs> um, so like ages eight to eight to 10. So it's a session is going to look, gosh, I mean, I always say it's like similar to like a sixties gym class. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're doing obstacle courses and I, I use a lot of Jeremy Frisch's stuff. And then we're also playing just fun childhood games that I grew up with. So dodgeball kept capture the flag. Um, sometimes during sessions, I'll bring like the dads in and they'll play against their dads, which gets really heated. So that's always fun yeah. to watch dads versus, um, eight to 10 year old dodgeball. <laughs> um, the dads don't hold back when they're throwing. Um, <laughs> so funny because I think they realize how good the kids actually are. And they're like, Oh, I need yeah. to my game. These kids are gonna, they're gonna win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, just all these games where I can just explain the game. Okay. One team on this side, one team on this side, just try and hit each other. And then I can just exit. Yeah. And like, that's the coaching cue. Like I, <laughs> it, it pains me like so much when I see like eight to 10 year old trainings and the coach is like a drill sergeant and they're just like, okay, like go through these rings, faster feet, sprint, quick feet. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this sounds so rehearsed and their, the, their brains can't take this. Their brains need to kind of figure it out on, on their own so that they can learn how to move their bodies in space and how to react to defenders. And, and that's going to translate to team sport performance mm -hmm. and a lot of the decisions they have to make there. Um, and even just like games like handball are so good for for soccer players and a, a lot of people are like well why are you doing like a game with your hands but handball is so fast paced and you also you always have to be like a couple steps ahead um, especially when you're transitioning you have to have good hand-eye coordination and just be aware of of the field and it's that's kind of like a big where the ball is going to be right yeah and just moving off the ball mm -hmm. and Sometimes you need to do another sport to teach that to, to those kids. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all the, all the 8 to 10-year-olds, it's just, it's just fun games. It's making sure they get a good sweat, but they're also extremely excited when they leave and they're smiling, they're laughing. Um, granted, we've had times where there's been some crying, but only because they're extremely competitive and they just yeah. like, keep losing. But, you know, it's like, guys, like, you got to cry. You got to learn how to lose. Like, I'm not going to like come over and comfort you. And then that's another thing. I just, I don't want to bubble wrap these, these young kids. Like if, if you're going to cry because you, you got knocked down or you lost a relay, figure it out, man. 
I'm not, I'm not here to help you. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people tend to safeguard these kids and like really solace them, but they, there comes a point when we need to kind of just let them, let them play and, and let them figure it out. challenges. Yeah. yeah. Grow a little bit of a thicker skin and learn yeah. how to, um, learn how they personally need to deal with adversity because you can, you can give them the tools and you can kind of put it into context for them and, you know, yeah. explain the whole you win or you learn kind of idea. But at the same time, they need to go through the reps of that and they need to, they need to experience that and sit in that a little bit and be like, okay, well now how am I going to manage those emotions? And now what can I do going forward so that yeah. either one, those things don't happen again or when they do happen again, because we, we, we don't just do something once and then all of a sudden become perfect at it. How do I, how do I improve? And then how do I assess that improvement so that I know it's like, oh, hey, I did this thing. Like, how do I evaluate that and be like, did that work? No, yes, okay. Do I put that tool in the toolbox or do I need to try something different because that obviously didn't work? So yeah. I think that there's a point in coaching where it's like, let's, let's teach them how to deal with adversity without being like, oh, you're okay. Like that's yeah. the thing with like, with little kids, um, <laughs> with like, I remember when my daughter was, was a baby and a toddler and she's like learning to walk and, or she would fall. And it's like the kids who cry the worst are the ones whose parents are like, oh my God. And they run over and they're like, are you okay? Yeah, are you fine? Are you yeah. sure? Are you fine? And they're like, I was fine, but now I'm worried. I'm not fine because you're freaking yeah. out. But the you're kids like, are you're like, you're fine. Yeah. You know. <laughs> It's like you freaking out is going to freak them out. (laughs) It's totally a thing. It is. It's really a thing when it comes to like really young kids that they respond to you more than they respond to the stimulus of what happens. So when we talk about our kids as they get older and as they learn to deal with adversity, they're reacting. If they've never dealt with that situation before, they don't know what the appropriate reaction should be. They're dealing with their own emotions and their reaction, but that's going to either be exacerbated by by what's around them in their environment and how somebody else reacts because we're teaching them how to react so if we freak out they're gonna freak out if we're like oh this is like um with with um you know we with hockey or or with martial arts the martial arts one is fun because i'm like parents sitting on the side it's not your job to react you can sit there you can spectate but stay away because right we have black belt coaches who are judging right now you're not, you're not going to get up and start yelling at the black belt coaches, but it's interesting because the parents of the, the parents that are the most vocal about, Oh, well, that's not fair. Or I don't think this. And the Mm -hmm. kids are the ones who suffer the most from that because they're learning that reaction that nothing is, nothing is their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And then they never learn how to deal with those situations or that adversity or that challenge because it's now somebody else's fault. And there was nothing that they could do to improve. That's Mm -hmm. like, Mm, just sit down, be quiet. You're teaching them, you're teaching them not great habits by reacting that way. But it's it's a huge component, like where if, if as a coach, you give them the tools to deal with that and be like, here, here's the space to try out things to deal with that situation or to deal with those emotions. Here's the space for that, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it because it's going to be individual to you and you got to try it and figure out if it worked or not. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's so true. And, um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's been times when I've I've ran these sessions and and the parents are watching and their kids crying and I'm like blatantly like ignoring the kid and the, 
the mom will kind of like say to me, I'm glad you're doing that. And I'm like, yeah, like they, they need it. They need to figure it out and they need to figure out how they're going to maneuver or navigate the, the next round of handball we do, or, or they need to figure out that they need to push through this next relay and compete. Yeah. So um, I think the parents are, are appreciative of that. And yeah. I'm almost like, the bad guy sometimes. <laughs> it makes them not have to be. That's kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they're just happy, like having their eight to ten year olds just like come with me, and I'm like a little bit stricter sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They're like, all right. Well, I can't imagine if I'm a mom listen. one day. <laughs> yeah, kids listen really interestingly different too, because they don't. They won't push your buttons the way they'll push your parents' buttons. I I, yeah. I teach little kids karate, and those kids are so well-behaved. Parents were always like, before I had ch uh, children myself, parents were like, oh my gosh, they listen so good to you. My own five-year-old is the worst. She is <laughs> so, first of all, yeah. I can't coach her. She is the absolute worst to coach. I will give her to somebody else to coach because I can't apparently coach her. I've been teaching martial arts for like 20 years, but I can't coach her because that would be ridiculous. And she's the worst listener to me. Everybody else is okay, but to me, not a hope. <laughs> so it's interesting that it's like, sometimes they'll listen to other people more than their parents because they know how to push those buttons, right? They know how to, they know how yeah. to do that. Um, okay. I really want to talk about this before we, um, before we stop, because I think this is super relevant and really important. I know something you're really passionate about. And I think that it was a perfect lead in because you were talking about how kids navigate challenges. And obviously one of the biggest challenges we're facing, and we talked a little bit about at the beginning is COVID and shutdowns and regulations and things like that and all the stuff as we're kind of reopening or in some places we're reopening and some places we're not and a lot of government regulation and media um, is dictating a lot of this stuff so what I want to um, do is talk about number one how athletes can kind of navigate some of the new sporting regulations that are happening because I know that you shared a thing um, from and I, I made a mistake because I thought it was something that was local to you but it was in Massachusetts some of the changes to the rules of soccer itself and what yeah. athletes could no longer do that were like that are part of this sport which made zero sense to me and I'm not an athlete uh, soccer person sorry <laughs> so I I was not, I'm, uh, most of the stuff I was like I don't know what that means anyways but um how can these athletes navigate some of these changes in whatever their leagues their access to leagues changes in regulations and and what they um and and their their sport itself to be able to continue to progress and kind of um, adapt, I guess. What, are, what would be some of the things that they can do? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's an extremely chaotic time. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of adjustments, whether we like them or not. Um, the, regarding the change in rules with Massachusetts soccer, I started reading the document and I had to stop halfway because my eyeballs were like popping out and like burning. I was like, wait, is this actually real? Like they One can't. One of the things was like, you couldn't head the ball. Yeah, you couldn't head, like, you couldn't slide tackle. Like it was basically, you yeah, it was like in. a watered down version of soccer. It just like wasn't, it just wasn't soccer. So I'm reading through the document. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So you're basically changing an entire game that is built off of contact and creative expression and 
meanwhile, you're allowed to open liquor stores and grocery stores. Why are we changing a game that's outdoors with kids when there's, we're like packed shoulder to shoulder in a liquor store? Like I, you know, like, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like I just, the inconsistencies are wild. And um, that's the first thing I want. I want parents to just be aware of that because there's going to come a point where it's either going to stay like this or it's going to get worse. And parents need to ask, well, what do I value for my kid right now? Yeah. And does any of this make sense? Does this, does this make sense? So there's going to come a time where, we're going to have to fight or figure this out because it's, it's just getting out of hand. And right now I'm, I'm more worried about the next generation than anything. And just being able to have that, that human connection and social interaction and to see people's facial expressions and to play the sports they love and to just be moving. And and these are all things that, enhance our health so it's almost like backwards what they're suggesting Mm -hmm. it's like do do they really have our best interest in mind do they have our kids best interest in mind as far as like boosting their health and their immunity or are we just kind of bubble wrapping everyone and this all it's interesting it's very interesting it's weird because um one of the things that i've like i i i had to turn off a lot of the media for a while because i was getting so upset and frustrated with the stuff that was coming out because I was like, this is just not basic logic. And one of the things that really drove me totally wild was um, was the, the whole like, okay, we need to be focusing on people's health and we need to be focusing on, you know, the, the building the immune system. And I'm like, so you're shutting down sports, you're shutting yeah. down fitness facilities. And then at one point it was like, Anytime you go outside, you should be wearing a mask. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about right now? You are taking away literally all of these things that build up our immune system as a way to protect, like to protect our immune system. And I say that in air quotes for the people that are listening on, on, on audio, but like, I'm like, that, that doesn't even make sense anymore. You are literally closing down. And for us, they, um, that we like fitness was not considered an essential service and i was like you're talking about health you are talking about people's wellness both physical mental emotional you are talking about health how is fitness not a essential component of health and how can these facilities not be given the option to operate in a way that would be safe for disease transmission like that's the biggest thing it's like we, we could all think of ways that you could, you could alter your programming. You could adjust so that you can yeah, still offer yeah. the service that you provide and the health benefits while still keeping people safe. But it became such a huge thing where it's like, nope, it all has to be shut down. And where I get concerned is, and we talked a little bit, a little bit about this before we kind of hit record, but where I get concerned is that in, in our community here, and I don't know what this looks like for where you are because the U.S. kind of blew up and um and so that might be different depending on where you're at but for our community here we have had a couple of deaths related to covid um according to the statistics whatever those might look like um but that's another that's another 
that's a whole different conversation, but we've had a couple of deaths related to that. But what we've had more importantly is a whole bunch of deaths related to mental health issues and people not being able to access the resources for their mental health is seriously contributing to that. So we're shutting down our resources to other aspects of health to protect one aspect of health. And, and where do we balance those scales? Like that's, that's where it gets a little bit um, mm -hmm. difficult for me. Yeah, the, the mental health piece has been a sad one. And I've, um, yeah, in our community, I've, I've heard of a, a couple of friends of friends who have either um, died from suicide mm -hmm. or um, who were admitted into a psych ward um, mm -hmm. and, and business owners, business owners who, you know, it wasn't just financial, but it was like losing that livelihood. And your business is your creative expression. Yeah. And um, Dr. Kelly Brogan, she's a, a psychiatrist. She's a completely um, natural psychiatrist. So she doesn't prescribe medication um, okay. at all. And she's healed tons of people. And she always says, creativity is where, is where humans heal. Mm -hmm. So creativity is found in, in you know, conducting your business and your livelihood. Creativity is found in playing sports. Creativity is found in gatherings and being outside and body movement and all these things that were taken away during this whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, it's a, it's a layered discussion, but I think you made such a great point that it's like, okay, well, if like certain places are going to be able to open with, you know, the distancing guidelines in place, then why can't gyms? Because they, they can do it just as well, if not better, because they have to be extremely sanitary. Um, but you made such a good point about, you know, wearing a mask outside and, I mean, I could provide um, doctors who have discussed this, Dr. Ben Lynch, Dr. Paul Saldino, um, Ivor Cummings, like all these guys who say that, that kids need to be out in nature interacting with the microbiome. They need to be exposed to bacteria so that they can yes. develop their immune system. So again, it's coming back to the whole idea of bubble wrapping our kids and not mm -hmm. letting them experience the, the richness of life to become strong human beings. And it just, it honestly shocks me that I'm, I'm one of the few youth coaches who has been very outspoken about this and I'm shocked more haven't. I think people are afraid to speak up because it's such a sensitive topic, but this is, this is what I've believed in anyway, before this all happened, I've believed in taking care of your health. I believed in putting in the daily work to, to be a better athlete, to increase your immunity. Um, I don't believe in temporary band-aids, putting on a mask staying inside, um, putting on a knee sleeve, uh, taping an ankle. I don't believe in any of that, whether it's for athletics or for protection from a virus. I put, yep. I believe in putting in the work to make sure your body is in a good position to handle anything. Okay. Maybe an even deadlier virus down the road, maybe yep. playing the number one ranked team in the nation. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like, are we doing what we can and not relying on a band-aid to save us that's not completely guaranteed it's going to help us yeah so that's that's my question to coaches that's my question to parents and just to really think deeply about what what you value um as, as a human and and as an athlete i'm curious because you said you um you you're quite outspoken about this stuff and a lot of people aren't and i i know for me 
um, I'm really careful about what I put on social media because anything can be taken out of context and and as a business owner and things like that, it's really stressful to think about what, um, you know, how people might respond to some of the stuff that you say. So it, it's hard because you want to express your opinions and you want to put out your values to the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so could you speak to what your experience has been like since starting to be a little bit more vocal in terms of like being on social media um, and saying what you're thinking? Like, how's, how's that gone? Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting. So my athletes love me more. Um, <laughs> so, I bet they're like, stick it to the man. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, but I tell them like, it's like, this is the same thing I've discussed, you know, even back in like 2018, 2017, when we all started training together, like it's the same, it's the same message, but I'm just like relating it to what's going on now. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. But I tell them, look, like, don't take what I say as truth. You have to, you know, here are some resources, but like, go do your own research. I'm not telling them, you know, masks are, are, are useless. Like, I'm like, look, like there, there's like studies on both sides, like go do your own research. So I think they've appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, as far as social media followers, like I don't have the chance to have those conversations with them. And if I post something, they'll just like cancel me and unfollow me, which is fine. Um, Cause they were lukewarm about me anyway, in the first place. So um, I, I'll hap- happily lose followers on social media because I, I prefer to a- attract people who who really vibe with this message. And the, and the message is really just be healthy, like yeah. take back your power. That's that's really all it is because we we can wait for this rushed vaccine to come that people can't even name the ingredients that are in it. And if you can, tell me how it's going to help your health. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and so yeah. many people are like are are really nervous about that anyways, about taking I've heard, yeah. that in, that, like I, I've from public perception, from what I can tell, they're like, no, I'm not interested in taking something that's been rushed because yeah. <laughs> what are the downsides to that? Which one, which downside is going to be worse? The COVID downside or the vaccine downside? There's a lot of yeah. concerns about that. So like, I get that. Like, and you that's know. where, that's where people are going to have to make a decision. That's where the line's going to be crossed. Um, you know, that's I've, I've not. Be made once... Anyways, right. We're now at a point where it's deciding what is more of our risk at this point, getting a, a disease that has been touted as being ex- extremely contagious and really, really bad. And, and that's up for discussion in a totally different context, but um, uh, depending on, on what you believe and where your science is and things like that. But um, you're now assessing, okay, uh, here is my risk for getting the disease from this particular source versus here is my risk for um, decline in health from all of these other things that I'm no longer having access to because I'm so worried about this thing. So it's like, okay, guys, we have to now decide whether our health is just prevention of disease or yeah. if it is if it is living optimally. And I think that's where we, we are getting kind of lost is what does health actually mean to you? Is it just living without disease or is it actually living? Because that's where you need to manage your own risk and everybody's welcome to their own decisions yeah. and opinions and things like yeah. that. But we should be free to be able to make those decisions yeah. and, and assess that risk for ourselves, I think, and assess that risk for our families and for our children and be able to, um, and be able to make those decisions and then accept the consequences of those decisions. Right. So that's, that's kind of where everybody should be at at this point, um, in my opinion, but 
Yeah. And yeah. It, it, you know, it's, again, it's like, it's no right or wrong. And like, um, mm -hmm. as you said, like we, it, it should be a choice and, um, we can't, we can't judge if someone chooses to do that or if someone chooses to do the work on the back end and, you know, just put, put their body in a good position to, to yeah. be healthy. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it just really comes down to, to what people value and, um, it takes a lot of soul searching to, to figure that out and, and what your next move is going to be. But you know, right now, like it's, I'm like kind of at a point, like I've trained so hard my entire life, like for this moment, I mean, like I've been meditating so hard because I'm like, shoot, like, is this going to be forced upon me? Like, am I going to lose my job? Like, it's just like stuff like that where I'm like, dang, I got to really put in the work even more. Like the last thing I'm afraid of is this virus in all honesty. Right? I'm just, you know, I just want to continue to live my life and create and, and teach kids. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at and just uh, put my, put my health in my own hands and just be outside, do all the things I, I love to do and just be left alone. Like that's like really all it is. Freedom to be you and do you and, and whatever yeah, that looks like so long as it's not hurting others, right? Like that's, and that's ultimately yeah. what it should be. And and I, I super respect that you've been really vocal about that, even at the expense of maybe, like you said, losing some followers. But you know what? Those people were those people were not going to contribute to your mission and your values anyways. And if you don't share those same values, I mean that's that's cool. They can they can live their lives separately and things like that. So I mean, you're probably not losing out on anything that would have been valuable to you anyways in terms of interaction and working with those with those individuals but yeah, I really yeah. respect that you're like I'm going to stand for what I believe in be you know at the at whatever expense comes with that because if you um I, I just I heard this I was listening I was watching Hamilton I'm such a nerd um, oh yeah <laughs> and it was like if you do, if you don't stand for something like what will you fall for and that yeah. was one of the big things. And it's like, that really resonated with me right now in this time. If you, if you're not willing to stand up for what you believe in, what are you willing to fall for? Like, like where, yeah. where does that, where is that yeah. line? And, and we need to define that each personally and, and decide what it is we're willing to go for, you know, whether it's in life, in business, in sport, what are we willing to go for and what isn't worth it? Because if you don't have that decided you're not going to do anything there's no action behind that you have to decide and then you have to act on those things and i i super respect that you have you know been very vocal and acted on those things because i don't think there are enough people that are brave enough to do that and and that's and yeah. i i i there's a lot of respect i don't know if that's worth anything to you but there's a lot of respect coming from a lot of i think people who are like man like i wish i was brave enough to say those things that she's saying but i will 100 support what she's saying because um, because it needs to be said, right? Yeah, it, it, it really does. And, um, I think more and more people are, are speaking up, but you know, it's been interesting in the youth sports world. I don't see too many coaches speaking up and I really hope this kind of gives them the courage to just, you know, look at their own training philosophy and does it align with what's going on? Like how, what are the messages you, you are giving your athletes now? And, are you a living, walking example of that, even when the world's getting all crazy? Um, and it's going to be uncomfortable to speak up. Um, but I, I'm willing to do that because, again, it just it comes back to me caring about the younger generations and the world that they grow up in. I was telling a friend yesterday, I was like, man, if, if I had kids during this time, like I would... I would lose it. I would be fighting even harder. Like, I don't know how I would act, but I know it would get a little crazy. 
history because you watch <laughs> something that you find valuable being taken from them and you can see the direct influence on it. Like with my own daughter, she's only five. And when all everything shut down, you could see what changed in her world and how stressed out she was and not being able to interact. She's a social kid. And it was, it was, it was really hard. So I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're, you put those values out there because the kids will pick those up, right? They will pick those up and they'll be like, you know what, because she did this when it was uncomfortable, when it was inconvenient, when there could have been negative effects to that, like that gives me the courage to stand up for what I believe in. Like you're teaching them good life skills and good characteristics. So I, I, yeah. I think that's important. I think that's super important. And, and that's what it comes back to you. And just to return to your original question, man, I like really went off on a tangent, but oh, like, no, it's good. It's good. I like it. <laughs> like what can, what can kids do right now? So we can't, uh, we can't change these ridiculous Massachusetts rules. We can't <laughs> change this inevitable second wave crap that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but what we can do is we can, do we can do what we can control so so what can we can what can we control can we still hang out with our friends in a way where you know we're outside and if we're worried about distancing like we can still be with each other in just in a different way so we can get that social interaction or can we facetime them more um can we do do training outside can we go for a walk can we do hiking and oddly enough um with a lot of the girls i work with now like they've really embraced this time like within their own families and i see their families and them having like so much fun like they're cooking together they're doing like picnics they're going on these like day hiking trips and it's just it's so great to see you're seeing them thrive during this time and like nothing's really phasing them what's going on in the world so I think that's just, that's the most empowering thing you can do for yourself is do what you can control, but do things that, that are going to serve your physical health, but also your, your mental health and, and your, your mood and your energy and just your, your overall well being. Yeah. It's a return to simplicity, which is really nice. And a return yes. to <laughs> yes. connection with our families yeah. that have been so busy for so long that we're like, Oh, Hey, this is what's like to spend time as a family. It's, and kids thrive yeah. on that, right? Okay, living I don't want to keep you. Been, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, living simply has been just such a silver lining to to all of this, and I, I've been seeing yeah. a lot of families do that, and just they're they're not on like their phones as much, and they're really embracing the time together, and um, just realizing, okay, maybe I shouldn't have like bought all those things and like waste that money, or mm-hmm. just like simplifying their lives. And that's, that's just been like a positive that that's come out of all of this. 100%. Minimalism was like trendy before. Now it's like, it's essential. It's like, yeah, what do we need and what don't we need? And it's a real good kick in the face of like, this is actually what you need versus what you think you need and what you want. And now it's time to reevaluate that stuff. And it's kind of it's totally silver lining, 100%. It's, it's, I love, minimalism's like my new political party. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I love it. I love it. I, I, Being in nature is like the political party. <laughs> All right, Erica, I don't want to keep you for, uh, for too much longer because I know you said you work today and you're a busy lady. So um, let's, let's finish off by number one. Um, I love to ask people, um, it's actually in kind of in stream with, uh, with Andrew, because he, he was the one who encouraged me to do this podcast and he was the one who actually introduced me to you, which I'm very thankful for. I'll send him a nice, oh, awesome. Um, awesome. but like, he 
always asked about like what kind of books or influences are you into at the moment. So I would love that because I'm an avid reader and I like passing on, you know, recommendations. So what would be your number one recommendation for either like a resource, a book, or a person to maybe follow on social media that's really influencing you right now that you want to pass on um, to the listeners? Gosh, there's so many amazing people <laughs> that I, I follow and so many amazing books. But right now, I'm really diving harder into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. He is um, big on um, like the neuroscience of meditation and how to, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And just how what's going on in your mind is manifested in physical form as far as um, like inflammation in your body, your gut health, um, how quickly you heal from injury. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff. It's a little out there, but um, I've done a lot of his meditations and they've been extremely, extremely helpful. So Dr. Joe Do you like YouTube guided meditations or things like yeah. that? Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. I'll have to find he's, that because that sounds he's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. Where can people find you on social media? Because you are now obviously the queen of doing online coaching, um, maybe more out of necessity than, than want at the beginning. Um, but I know that we have a, a lot, a big soccer community here. And I know that you recently released a um, soccer, it's called Soccer 365, right? Uh, yeah, Total Youth Soccer Fitness 365. Right. Okay, so an ebook for um for soccer athletes and then obviously you do offer uh, online coaching and so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or get access to some of those things where is the best place to find you and get those resources yeah so my twitter handle is fit soccer queen and same on instagram so you i'm most active there and if you want to um, get a program or work with me online. I just tell people to email me um, at fitsoccerqueen at gmail.com. And yeah, anyone who wants to talk about fitness, uh, spirituality, confidence, mental training, that's what we talk about on our calls. So all the things. <laughs> it's pretty all awesome. Things. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a full fledged program here, not just the physical stuff, but the mental yeah. stuff, which is just as important. So I love that. Yep. I love that you promote that. And I love that you offer that. All right, Erica, thank you so, 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 so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. I love the conversation that we had and I'm super excited um, for the listeners that I have to maybe hear it and, um, and follow along with your stuff because it's been beneficial to kind of watch. And also, oh, we didn't even mention this. You started a podcast, right? Oh yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's the name of your podcast so that people can go and listen to more of what you have to say? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's called the soccer Queens podcast, but it's, it's mainly for female athletes and we, we don't really talk about training too much. It's more about your, your mindset. I, the last episode I did was on how to meditate for beginners. So it's, and then we've had some registered dietitians on. So it's just like the holistic approach of being um, a strong female athlete. Love it. Okay. That'll resonate really, I think really strongly with this audience as well. So we'll have to, I'll make sure to put that all in the notes um, so that people can find you and, um, and track down your podcast and listen to it because I've seen you post so much content. There's so much available there and people need to start accessing that kind of stuff because um, your stuff is wonderful. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and please leave a rating and a review so that more and more people can learn about the She-Wolf Den and join us for future episodes. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day.